Hi everyone, Dr. Elizabeth Bonet here. Dr. Liz, welcome to the Hypnotize Me podcast. Before we jump in, please note that the podcast is not mental health treatment, nor should it replace mental health treatment. If you need psychotherapy or hypnotherapy, please seek treatment from a trained professional. I do hypnosis all over the world, so please feel free to contact me through my website, drlizhypnosis.com, D-R-L-I-Z-hypnosis.com. Hi everyone, Dr. Liz here. I am so happy to bring you an interview with Faith Alicia. She's just published a book in July of 2021 called Do You See What I See? It's an interactive workbook of personal reflections, strategies, and tools for anyone suffering from an eating disorder. Now, face eating disorder happened after her third pregnancy. It did not happen in like late adolescence, early 20s, which is probably the most common time for an eating disorder to start. It happened after she had three kids. (laughs) So she talks all about that in her book and during the interview. And we discuss how to tell if you really need help. We talk about spiritual stuff and 12-step and how to get support in eating disorders in general. And also we mentioned 12-step quite a bit. So I did want to let you know here at the beginning that there's Codependence Anonymous and Adult Children of Alcoholics. And both of those are free programs. You can find them online and I did put links to them in the show notes. We also both mentioned the episode, which is HM207, Change Your Eating, Stop Binging, Stop Overeating by Changing Your Self-Talk. It aired in July of 2021, in case you want to go back and listen to that one. You can find out more about Faith at her website, faithalicia.com, F-A-I-T-H-E-L-I-C-I-A.com. All right, let's jump in. I hope you really enjoy the interview as much as I did. Peace. Hi, Faith. Welcome to the Hypnotize Me podcast. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed your book. I have just, um, I aired an episode pretty recently about um, binging and overeating called Words to Eat By. Let me restate that. (laughs) The book that I talked about in there is called Words to Eat By by Deborah Koenig. But um, the whole episode talks about like different ways that we talk about ourselves when we're changing our eating or in general too. It was like a little mini, mini um, series that I did on ways that we talk to ourselves and eating was one of those, one of those episodes. So I felt like your book was really interesting because you talk a lot about that in it. So I definitely want to talk about that. But um, before we jump into that, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about your own background and how you um, found yourself with an eating disorder? Sure, of course. Well, I'm a child of an alcoholic, and I really didn't find out my dad was an alcoholic until my mid-teens. So for me, just the chaotic, angry, outburst behavior, I just thought 
well, that's how all dads were. And that's just how it is. So I, I really lived in a fight or flight syndrome and my body, it's still programmed that way. I just have learned many tools and strategies to, you know, to bring myself down and not everything has to, you know, create such a a reaction. Mm -hmm. So the anxiety had been present and I had always done a lot of exercise, but I would consider it, you know, it wasn't until my third child, after I had my third child, I had postpartum depression Mm -hmm. and the anxiety was really bad. So I went to a psychiatrist who specializes in anxiety disorder. But what started happening was I started gaining weight and I didn't understand why, you know, I was still working for my husband, taking care of, you know, the baby in between. It was just a lot going on situationally. So it's, you know, eat between because you got to feed and then you got to do office work. So you just kind of eat between. Mm -hmm. So when I reached out to my obstetrician, she had said, oh, you know, because I was hitting 40 and she's like, oh, well, you know, that's just, it's your hormones. It's like your age. And I didn't buy that because, you know, I'd always just been healthy. And so I decided to go on a diet, which today I know is just not a, a word in my vocabulary. It's just healthy mm-hmm. eating. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't like to get into specifics, but for me, it was just carbs became bad. Carbs are evil. So I cut out all carbs and the weight quickly started to drop. Mm-hmm. And I guess the anxiety, it it just kind of turned into the focus on my body. And I kept saying, well, it's not a problem until I reach this weight. But mm-hmm. then when I reached that weight, well, when I get this weight and the psychiatrist realized that this is becoming an issue And he released me as a patient, which was mortifying to me because I trusted Mm -hmm. him. And now it's like, really? Now you're just like throwing me out. What am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. So he sent me to a different psychiatrist whom I wasn't really fond of. And I guess the psychiatrist's words, it was just a wake up that, you know what, this isn't a joke. You you need to get help. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, things just fall into place. I do believe there's no coincidences. And my mom had met a woman who happened to be a therapist at an eating disorder treatment center. I mean, what are the odds of that? Uh-huh. So I made a call and I went in like Friday. My mom came with me to the intake and Monday morning I started treatment. Okay. And, and that was my first round of treatment because there have been two. Do you feel like you had um, eating restrictive problems before pregnancy, before you, any of your pregnancies, or was this really brand new after your third one? The restrictive eating was brand new after the third one. I had always, you know, with exercise, but after my third child, it was kind of out of control. Mm -hmm. It, It really just got out of control. It was very unhealthy. Just the body just became my total focus. And, you know, now I know it was because I'm focused on that. And then I'm not focused on how I'm feeling and just unable to handle the situational stresses that just became a way to cope for me, an unhealthy coping mechanism. So that's pretty unusual, right? That it would develop in adulthood versus like, I mean, the vast majority of eating disorders develop in adolescence, early 20s. I think your book is, is, yeah. yeah, your book is unique in that. 
aspect because, um, you know, most of the, the books are oriented towards um, when your eating disorder started, like much earlier in someone's life. It's just, you're never too young. You're never too old. Like this stuff can just creep in and coming from a family of addiction, I was always afraid of alcohol and drugs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I haven't had a drink in like 27 years. Not that I have an issue with it because I never drank. So I was always afraid of that. And I, I guess in my view, it's somewhat of that, you know, obsessive, compulsive, addictive personality. It just went to this because nobody else in my family even has an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Messages as a child was, you're so beautiful. You know, I, I just, it just, I don't know, it just became an unhealthy coping mechanism that grew into a beast very quickly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciated all of the um, personal information you do share in your book. Uh, the book is titled, Do You See What I See? Just in case you, um, as a listener, skip the intro, right? Like I often do <laughs> with podcast interviews. I'm always like, get to the interview, get to the interview. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. um, and it was just published in July, correct? That is true. So this book, I actually started nine years ago when I entered my first treatment. We had to do art therapy. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I thought it was stupid mm-hmm. because I'm like, like, what am I going to do here? And she would give prompts being a controlling person. I wanted to do what I wanted to do because I didn't like her prompts. Mm-hmm. But what I found was she was open to that. It was like, you didn't get in trouble, that she just let me follow my own process. So I started drawing my little people, which my little faiths, which are in the book. And Mm -hmm. it just took on where I would, you know, read an an affirmation for the day, something that came up, I would draw about it, journal about it. And what I was realizing in treatment, all of the books, you know, that I would read, it was always from someone who was on the other side, recovered. Mm -hmm. And for me, that just seemed like, well, I'm never going to get there, especially when you're in just the doom and gloom of eating disorder. It's very hard. It was for me to, I don't know, that 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 was like a destination. And I listened to one of your podcasts the other day. And so I have to praise you because I just loved it because it really goes along with my belief. And you had said that you're mostly recovered with overeating. Yeah. I so love that because that's great and it's okay. Yeah, It's not like I have to be recovered. Who says that it's a one day at a day process and you know what, if I screw up, it's okay. I used to beat myself up and you don't have to that this is a journey and we're going to go up and down and we're going to fall. So I, it just came to me years ago that I would love to do something that's more interactive. Mm -hmm. That's more, we're in this together because I do believe recovery can happen alone. You definitely need support Mm -hmm. and that you're not alone and there's no finish line, that it's a journey and then a journey of self-discovery and self-awareness. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's what I wanted the message to be, that it's we, not me alone. Yeah. Yeah. And isolating. It is. And I do find that um, not just for myself, but for people I work with in my practice, people I talk to, friends, it pops up in different ways along our lifespan. So during pregnancy and after pregnancy is actually very, it's a time when 
you know, your hormones are raging, right? <laughs> like yeah. you're um, totally focused on food and hunger and everyone around you is too. Like, are you eating properly? Are you doing this? You know, all of a sudden your body sort of becomes like public domain, regardless of whether you want it to be or not. And so it can pop up different ways during that time. It can pop up different ways as we figure out how to how to feed our children, right? What are we going to teach them around food and their bodies and how to nurture themselves? It pops up, um, you know, later. I just find that's why I, I think I say mostly recovered because it does pop up different ways in your life as we age and we we figure, well, let me use the I there, right? As I age, right? right. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> you know, what is what is uh, my 50s going to be like? My 60s, like in all kinds of different ways. And I think it is so, so helpful to have support along that journey, whether it is from a podcast or in person or with a support group um, online, books that we read. I see all of these as different ways to get support. I really loved how your book was, um, it gave the prompts it also gave like information and history. I just found it, it really was interactive. It says it's an interactive workbook, yeah. right? <laughs> but I really did find it that way. Um, and I love also how you say that the most important thing to remember is that no two eating disorders look the same. Yeah, I do think that's very important. Yes, I, I do too, because people tend to think, well, I'm not doing that, so I don't have an eating disorder, right? Exactly. They're, they're Googling, or I'm not doing that, so this isn't a problem. What can people look out for to say, hey, I really need some help? Like, what would that be? I think for me, it's when it starts, you know, interfering with your life. And it's just so easy to be in denial. You know, I... I know people where, where it is, where I can sit back as an observer now and, and see the behaviors, mm -hmm. but it's, it's just really taking a look at, am I using this, you know, to cover up pain or just shame? It just becomes an escape. And is, is it affecting your life? Is it interfering with things you're doing? Are you missing out on things? Be, you know, going out with friends to eat because mm -hmm. you know you're afraid of what's going to be on the menu. Or, I mean, I used to go to, I'll call them play dates. My uh, 12 year old wouldn't like that now. Another <laughs> get-togethers, right? But I always would bring like a little lunchbox with my so-called safe foods, so that if they were, you know, serving. I'm allowed to eat this. So that's what I brought with me. It's mm -hmm. very, very rigid. And it's also very hard when our culture is so diet oriented. Yes. So, so many women I was around, moms, it's like, well, I can't eat this and I'm on paleo and it, mm -hmm. it's hard and the gym nonstop. So it's very hard to step back and my eating disorder would say, well, why can they do it? Why can't I? Why are they allowed to do this? Why can't I? And I would talk to my husband about this and he'd be like, because you have an eating disorder and they don't. Mm -hmm. I have to worry about myself. Yeah. And it did interfere with my life. And I've seen somebody die from this. I don't want to die from this. Mm -hmm. And I have to stress that like this isn't a joke. This is my life and it's my shot. So like I, I just don't want to, I don't want to live it 
in misery anymore. But yeah. Too many years of it. I'm just and the funny thing is when I was pregnant, completely healthy. Every focus was about, you know, because I had three preterm, I had um, high risk pregnancies. Mm -hmm. So my whole concern was about the child. I eat for the baby. And it's so interesting because then when I have the baby, now it's like, well, screw faith. You know, it's all about the baby. Uh (laughs) Yeah, that's very common, right? It is. And the biggest thing is, is I wasn't taking care of my needs. Like, what were my needs? It doesn't matter because I have to take care of the kids' needs and Mm -hmm. the office needs and the house needs. And I always came last. Mm -hmm. And that that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, good, good. I think it is a process because when you first have the baby, it's like, keeping the baby alive, right? Like, okay, I got to keep the baby alive. Like, all right. And it is all about the baby often. And it is so hard for many, many women to come to more of a place of balance of, okay, yes, the baby absolutely has to get their needs met, period, right? But at the same time, where can you get some support? It's so hard for women to ask for that even for various reasons, but where can you get some support to be able to take care of yourself? And sometimes that's not um, not at hand for a lot, a lot of women. I was a, a postpartum and perinatal mood disorder specialist for many, many years. And occasionally I'll see a case now, but it's not like a large part of my practice anymore. But it's so hard for women sometimes because they don't have the support that they need. I think online has actually opened that up a lot more to um, be able to get treatment, to be able to see somebody. I mean, there's always support groups online, like even, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. We had message boards or the Yahoo groups and that type of thing. And now, you know, we have other, other different types, social media types, but to actually get treatment has really changed, I think, particularly, obviously, in the last year, where people can really get that online. The Zoom is like the best thing in the world. Yeah, right. I have a love-hate with Zoom. I get get Zoomed out, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And at the same time, it makes treatment very accessible for people and support in a different kind of way, where you're like face-to-face with someone. Well, I'm an isolator. So for me, it's been a gift because I'm, you know, somewhat shy, introverted. And, you know, there's still a lot of shame with this eating disorder. I'm still working on that, which is why the book has been so long in the making. But I'm grateful that I held out because the last two years has been the most significant growth. When my father passed away three years ago from Alzheimer's and He was very active in Alcoholics Anonymous and very giving of himself. Mm. And I really worked on that relationship toward the end of his life where I have, you know, complete love for him. There's no residual anger. It's just full acceptance and and love for him. Mm -hmm. And I think what gave me the courage was like he stepped out of his comfort zone to help people. And I think that I'm supposed to do this and carry on what he did. Mm. And I have to put the shame aside because eating disorders, for me, it's a very shameful thing. Like there's a lot of people that don't know I live with this. I'm not, I don't tell everybody, you know, of course, I'll, people have eating disorders. I'll, I'm very comfortable talking about it, but mm-hmm. there's still a lot of shame with it. 
And that's something I'm still working on. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I was listening to a call the other day from someone who's an expert in binging and someone had asked her like, what's the difference between overeating and binging? And she said, shame. That was her primary criteria is binge. It may not even necessarily be volume. Often it's it's defined by volume of food, like how much food you're eating. Mm -hmm. But she said, even more so than that, it's a sense of shame around what you're doing, how you're eating, what you're eating, um, feeling like you're not in control. So I think shame is, is such a big part of eating disorders, whether it's on one side of binging or the other side of restricting. And that's where I guess the no two eating disorders are alike. But if we go underneath, I also, I go to um, Codependency Anonymous. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I've been part of that for two and a half years. And it's so interesting because there's only like six or seven of us. It's a very like close group, but like half of them have eating disorders. Most are children of alcoholics. So if we go under all of these, let's say the eating disorders, a symptom of what's underneath, we all relate on the feeling level. So that's why I say it doesn't matter if you binge, restrict, if we go underneath, we can relate to those feelings of just rejection and not feeling good enough. Yes. Not feeling deserving enough, not worthy enough. Yes. And that's a, so it's hard. So then how do you reach your needs or even figure out what your needs are if you don't feel worthy enough to meet them? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Right. That's the deeper work, right? Of saying, okay, let's heal this part. Let's work on this part, feeling worthy, feeling enough, feeling like you deserve to be here. You deserve to live. Yeah. And that's, that's getting to the nitty gritty, which is really what I've done the past two years. Mm -hmm. And that's where I've seen the biggest growth. Fantastic. Yeah. I often want to work on that part with hypnosis. If people are open to that, sometimes Mm -hmm. they are, sometimes they aren't, but I find like the hypnosis is a shortcut to like, let's get to self-worth here. Let's heal that part and then see how you take off, how you fly. And I know you're trained as a hypnotist, but how did you discover hypnosis? I guess, you know, I've always been aware of like the 12 step programs just because my father was in AA for a long time. I have another sister in the program my father was always preaching about higher power. And Uh so I just learned about it a lot. So I started meditating and just developing that spiritual aspect with meditation Mm -hmm. and hypnosis. I do all these things for myself. I've done the eight week mindfulness based stress reduction class, the self-compassion eight week class. I did another six week happiness class just all these things I do for myself because it gives me more self-awareness. And I have to tell you the hypnosis was like my godsend because I was on bed rest literally for six months of my third pregnancy. Whoa. And I did hypnosis every day when I was in delivery because I have an anxiety disorder. Uh-huh. So obviously when you're can't be on medication when you're pregnant. Yeah. Or she tried like the ones you're allowed, which didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. And I had my headphones on with my meditation music and was just doing like self-hypnosis during labor and telling others around, like, just don't talk to me. I have to be like in, in my place. (laughs) Fantastic. Let me tell you, it was awesome. Yeah. It was like the best. And I was able to just 
bring myself down rather than work myself up. It's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So it's been a tool I use. Okay, wonderful. Wonderful. I have a question for you around talking back to your eating disorder. So I, I find that there's two schools of thoughts around this. And in your book, it's like, I think you talk very, um, like you tell it to go away and, you know, get out of here and like things like that. Right. But then I think the other perspective is to almost make friends with it. Um, Like, okay, I know you're here. I know that this is what you want and need, but this is not what my, my true self wants and needs, my higher self wants and needs, right? Right. So it's like, how do you see that um, playing out? And this question has been running around in my head for a while, actually, not even before I I read your book about how some people seem to need to um, use the like cupcake voice, which, you know, I'm very aware that I named it a cupcake voice. Okay. (laughs) You know, like, oh, honey, it's okay. Right. And then some people need to, to be like, you know, get the F out of here. Right. Right. Do you think that's really individual or, or would you recommend one way or the other? I think in recovery, like anything else, you have to find what works for yourself. For me, you know, at the beginning and, and for years, the voice was so loud. It just doesn't shut up. So it's like, just stop. Mm -hmm. So a big part in recovery has been distinguishing between the two voices because an eating disorder voice is very manipulative where I saw half the time, I don't even realize, Oh, I mean, now I can, but at the beginning that's Ed talking, which is eating. I call my eating disorder versus, Mm -hmm. you know, my authentic self. Mm-hmm. So first is being able to distinguish between the two. Yes. So what you're talking about is self-compassion. And I did take that class. And for me, it's hard to say like, oh, Faith, I love you so much. That just doesn't sound for me. For it, real, for it you. didn't jive for me. But mm-hmm. I will talk to myself nicer now. It's like, okay, Ed, thank you. I'm going to choose to do this instead. Mm-hmm. That voice is there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting because in 12 set, they talk about the addict voice. And it right. sort of reminded me of that, like talking to the addict and saying, hey, no, you're not going to take control here today. Well, what's in- so I had a week ago, a week or two ago, and it's interesting because I really, I don't stand in front of the mirror and pick myself apart. Like I do have a healthier body perception now, but I was sitting on the couch and there's a lot of situational stuff going around. My oldest is moving to California in two weeks. So Mm. it's like you go through the whole emptiness, then COVID hits. So everybody's home on Mm. virtual college. And now, oh my gosh, they're leaving again. So now I get to go through this again. So I'm sitting on the couch and I was looking at my thighs and I had to stop myself. So I went into this behavior for maybe two minutes and then I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. My therapist, and I did hear you say one of your things about my therapist voice popped in, uh-huh. like dig deeper. That's her favorite thing. Mm-hmm. I used to hate it. Now I love it because now it's a habit. Okay, Faith. And I do talk to myself like this, Faith, what's going on? Mm-hmm. When I'm focusing on this, which has nothing to do with anything, there's something going on underneath. And I think that's the whole digging deeper and getting to that nitty gritty. It's learning about myself. And when it came down to it, it's, I'm really sad. My son's leaving. 
Oh, yeah. Right. So I'll just focus on my body or, you know what? I'm sad my son's leaving and it's okay. Yeah. And then the whole thoughts of looking at my thighs, which is completely irrelevant and not healthy for me, <laughs> right. went out the window. Done. So I can just sit with that sadness and say that it's okay to be sad. Like this yeah. Is, this is healthy to feel this way right now, as long as I don't let it once again like get stuck in the sadness. Right? Yeah, absolutely. It is interesting that often like feelings, you know, they manifest all the time physically, right? And that's one form of it. It reminds me of when my daughter was leaving for college, she was going to Italy. This was um, pre-pandemic, right? <laughs> and, um, and my hands began to ache, like arthritis in my hands, which I hadn't had in, I don't know, 10 years or something, like really long time. And so I finally did a hypnosis session with, um, with a colleague and it turned out that that was, it was related to all the sadness around her leaving, wanting to like, um, hold on with my hands, Gosh. hold on. And as, as soon as we did that session, it, it disappeared. It completely. That's so interesting. I love that. So yeah. you felt it in your hands. Cause it's, like symbolizes holding on. Mm -hmm. I love mm -hmm. that. <laughs> yeah. So I think our bodies do often communicate with this or when we catch it, we're like, oh, I'm obsessing about this part or this part or something like this. Like, yes, let me see what's truly going on. Let me dig a little bit deeper or just take a, a couple of breaths here and say, hey, emotionally, what's happening with you? And, and it's, it's a process. You know, at the very beginning, I, I think it was more distinguishing between Ed's voice and my own. Mm -hmm. Because at the beginning for me, it just, well, it was all Ed's voice. I have horrific anxiety. I've been agoraphobic. Like, it's not who I am. Mm -hmm. It's just a makeup that I am physiologically. I'm just very anxious with all the meditation and all I do. And I just accept that, that that's just a part of who I am. But as long as I continue to you know, feel the feelings, my anxiety does manifest physically. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, these feelings have to come out. So even if I go underneath, so I'm anxious this morning, why? Because I'm having an interview. Uh -huh. So I can go underneath and say, really, why am I feeling anxious? Well, it's fear of shame, putting this out there or fear of rejection or so it's underlying fear. That's where the anxiety is coming from. So yes. I can name it now. And just say, okay, Faith, just do the best you can. I meditated before, I prayed before, and it just, it just is what it is. But I walk through it now where I used to not. Okay, gotcha. Absolutely. I think that is the the goal to be able to walk through it, right? Like as an anxiety specialist myself, we're not getting rid of anxiety. It's informative for our life often, sometimes. Okay. And also, it's like, yeah, it's going to come up. Like, I don't know any therapists in the world who say they can completely get rid of anxiety forever and ever, right? Maybe David Burns and out of Stanford. I don't know. <laughs> He's like a, a big CBT therapist. But um, it's really being able to walk through it, though, to see what is going on. What is it communicating? What can I do now to help myself? 
what am I fearful of? What's scary to me? Because anxiety is almost always around fear and the future and right. all of that, right? So it's, it is that process of being able to just pause or put a pin in it and say, okay, let me see what I can do to help myself now. And how do I come back to the present? I think 12-step actually is, is so good about giving people skills about yes. how to come back to the present. I think for like for the codependency, you know, mm-hmm. just with the, being a child of an alcoholic, there's a lot of codependency with my mom that it applies to eating disorder because, you know, codependency, I'm trying to control. Yes. And what is for me, my anorexia was, well, I can't control when the baby's going to wake up and want food. And this, the school is calling because this one's sick and I have to go pick this one up mm-hmm. there. I'm completely powerless over everything outside myself, which has been the greatest gift. Yeah. Because I'm only, I can only control myself and how I react or act to situations. So the steps it can, for me, it just applies to every aspect of life. Yes. It, it It's amazing. And so with that recognition of, you know what? I'm powerless over how my dad acted when I was a child. And just with deeper understanding that he came from his own dysfunctional parents. So Mm -hmm. he brought into the marriage the skills that he had and did the best he could. Unfortunately, you know, it created a strong anxiety response in me, but I don't have to let that define me anymore. Right. And I always did. It was like, well, because even now, loud voices, I retreat. And I understand that that I just don't like loud screaming voices. Mm -hmm. It just brings me back to childhood, but I can still, I can still walk through it and know that, you know, this is about them. This is not about me. And as an adult now, I do not have to accept unacceptable behavior. So Mm -hmm. setting boundaries. And if someone raises the voice that, you know what, when you're ready to speak to me, you know, as a regular conversation, I'll be happy to continue this conversation. I could never do that before. Yeah. Yeah. But today I learned that I deserve respect just like I give it. Absolutely. It's so hard. It yeah. It's so hard. It is. I think, you know, learning how to set good boundaries becomes a skill and a practice. So it's not like, oh, I have the skill and now, you know, the rest of your life is easy, right? No, no, <laughs> like, no, no. It's, you know, different people come into your life and affect you different ways. And, it becomes a practice in terms of, okay, how can I start small and try it this way? And then maybe in this one area, it's difficult for you. In this other area, it's a little bit easier. Um, I think Codependence Anonymous, as well as a co-ed adult children of Alcoholics Anonymous, both of those are so helpful for that process and learning how to do that, or even learning like what a boundary is. Yeah, when they first described it, I'm like, what's that? And I don't have any. None. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah. How do you take care of yourself? How do you even figure out if something's um, really, really bothering you? Right. And, and then, I started at home, you know, just I've uh-huh. been married for over 26 years. So I started practicing at home because I know my husband's safe and it's unconditional love. So I would practice with him because I know, you know, it's always that fear of rejection and then they're going to abandon me. I've had a lot of situations, you know, all I have four sisters. So each one is on their own path. Obviously, the ones that are 
in recovery, I can relate more to on a deeper level because we're kind of on a spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. Um, I have one that I haven't spoken to in three years and it's, it's heartbreaking and I've tried and all I can do is keep trying and know that she's in the place she's in. Mm -hmm. And when she's ready, then, you know, maybe we can have a conversation or bring that relationship back. So we, again, we're powerless over others. I think the mindfulness really helped as well. And it's so funny because each class I take, it always coincides with the steps. So the mindfulness, you know, it's just being right now. I'm yes. in this moment. So I'm not projecting about what I'm having for lunch or what's on the meal plan for this or, oh my God, tomorrow I got to do this. Nope. Right now um, we're sitting here, we're having a conversation and I'm not going to worry about later because that's later. And, and I'd love one of the girls in my happiness group. I love what she always says. Um, how can I worry about tomorrow? Because if I'm mindful, tomorrow never comes. I'm always in today. I love that. Yeah. I <laughs> right. love it. Well, I, I always think about I'm interested. that. Like you have a happiness group? I love my happiness group. Where did you find this? Oh can we gosh. join your happiness group? Yes. <laughs> Where did I we love find my the girls. happiness group? So I keep yeah. finding these. I'm telling you, it's no coincidences. So this, because I did the mindfulness class program, so I'm on email list. Mm-hmm. So this, a mindfulness teacher was holding like a happiness gratitude six-week course. Well, I'm all for that because I love learning new things. And there were six women in it. So after I told my husband, I'm like, these ladies are so great. Like we're all trying to do the same things. Mm-hmm. So when the class was almost done, I reached out, which was very hard for me because like I'm not the most outgoing. And I asked, would they like to continue our happiness group without it? So I do a meditation with them. And then we read, you know, we just did the four agreements, which I've read that and I love it. And we discuss it each week. And I just, I love their insight. I just love surrounding myself with people like on this same journey. And, and that's another key with eating disorder recovery is surrounding yourself with healthier people. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm an empath. So if I'm around just a lot of negative, I I can like absorb that Mm -hmm. and it's not healthy for me. So I'd rather now put myself around these people that I can learn from and, and we're, you know, trying to just be better people within. Fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah. wonderful. So we're coming to the end of our time here. And where can people find you and find the book? Yes. Well, the book is on Amazon. It's on all platforms. So I have paperback and ebook. Okay. And then I also have a website, faithalicia.com. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook. On Instagram, it's Faith Alicia G. Okay. That will be in the show notes for the listeners, but it's also okay. spelled F-A-I-T-H-E is in Elizabeth. Huh? No, let no, me redo I, that. It's okay. a little that's a little yeah. narcissistic there. Okay. So <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. It's good. Elephant. I was gonna say <laughs> I can't find a good one. Okay. You so. can use Elizabeth. That's All great. right. Faith F-A-I-T-H. <laughs> E is in Elizabeth, L is in Larry, I C I A. So E L I C I A dot com. Correct. And that is in the show notes as well. And do you work with people directly as well? Or is it really just your your books that you like to get out there? I'm not a therapist. So I, I think like in maybe a past life I was. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just love to connect with people because I 
I don't know. I, I just think it's so much better, like I said before, that it's we versus I and that we don't have to be alone. Like we can do this journey together. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say, like, if somebody's struggling, reach out to me. I don't have all the answers, but like, you're not alone. I've, yeah. I've lived this nightmare. I get it. And we can get through. And I still have my ups and downs. There's color now. There's no black and white. And I used to live, it was this or that, and that's it. No more. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your wisdom and insight. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. truly enjoying today's episode. Remember that you can get free hypnosis downloads over at my website, drlizhypnosis.com, D-R-L-I-Z hypnosis.com. I work all over the world doing hypnosis. So if you're interested in working with me, please schedule a free consultation over at my website and we'll see what your goals are and if I can be of service to you in helping you reach them. Finally, if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast or tell a friend. That way, more and more people learn about the power of hypnosis. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful week. Peace.